0: The Bible tells us in verse number 1, Numbers chapter 32, Now the children of Reuben and the children of Gad had a very great multitude of cattle. And when they saw the land of Jezir and the land of Gilead, that behold, the place was a place for cattle, the children of Gad and the children of Reuben came and spake unto Moses and to Eleazar the priest and to the princes of the congregation, saying, Adareth and Dibon and Jazer and Nimrah and Heshbon and Elileh and Shebam and Nebo and Beon, even the country which the Lord smote before the congregation of Israel, is a land for cattle, and thy servants have cattle. Wherefore, said they, if we have found grace in thy sight, Let this land be given unto thy servants for a possession, and bring us not over Jordan. Now listen to Moses' answer to that request. And Moses said unto the children of Gad, unto the children of Reuben, Shall your brethren go to war, and shall ye sit here? I want to read that statement again. Shall your brethren go to war, and shall ye sit here? Would you pray with me tonight? Heavenly Father... Lord, all is vain except the Spirit of the Holy One comes down. And God, unless you speak to hearts, nothing will be accomplished. I thank you for the wonderful singing, the way that you've met with us already today in the morning service and already in this service. But Lord, I pray that your Word would be quick and powerful, that it would be effective in the hearts of your people. If there's one amongst us that's lost, show them their lost way. Father, show them also the way to Calvary. Show them that they don't have to leave this place alienated from Christ, but that they can know Him as their Savior. Lord, I pray that You would show us that which is most needful for our hearts. Lord, we didn't want to just come here to play church. God, we're not just here to go through the motions. Lord, we want to meet with You tonight. And I believe You intend on meeting with us now. Lord, if there's anything that would quench the Holy Spirit, I pray that You'd restrain it. And Father, that when we leave this place, we'll know that we've met with You, we've heard from You, we've obeyed You, and we've given You glory. Father, we love You. We thank You for it in Christ's name. Amen. We find ourselves with the children of Israel. Uh, there in the wilderness. Uh, they're beginning to conquer the lands that God had promised that they would conquer. And it's very interesting that the request given by the Gadites and the Reubenites in many ways echoes the modern Christian today. Uh, They had already fought some battles, and the Gadites and the Reubenites looked at Moses and said, well, you know, we've got cattle, and the land that we've already conquered is a wonderful place for cattle. And they said, there's no sense in us going over the Jordan with you and fighting more battles. Moses, can we not just stay where we're at and raise our cattle from here? Can I say to you that the Bible teaches that you and I are in a battle every single day? Did you know that the Bible says we're to uh, we're to gird ourselves in the armor of God to take the armor of God unto ourselves? We war not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. There's a spiritual battle that is taking place today, but the sad truth is the minority of the brethren are going to fight, and the majority of the brethren are sitting back and raising their cattle. The truth of the matter is this, and Brother Mike echoed this thought uh, there uh, right before the message. You look statistically at the majority of churches, and You say, Preacher, you're climbing all over us. No, that's not what I'm doing. I'm not accusing anybody. I'm just throwing a statement out there. Statistics are important. You know, they say 80% of all statistics are made up right on the spot. Amen? And uh, in most churches, about 10% does the work. And the other 80% are just floating along. I don't know if you realize this, church, but we're in a war today today. There's people all around Wallridge Baptist Church dying and going to hell in the shadow of our steeple. There's people all in this community lost without Christ. Nobody will reach them if we don't. Uh, we look around us and our brethren are going to war. There's always a faithful few that's serving and fighting and striving. And yet there's always a good majority that feels content just to sit. Moses says, how can you sit here? while your brethren are dying in the fields. Now you say, preacher, now our church members are not dying. Other Christians, they're not dying for the cause of Christ. No, but let me tell you exactly what happens. When a man sets his mind to serve Jesus Christ, do you know puts a bull's eye on his back from the devil? You know, when a person goes to take a stand for Jesus Christ, the Bible says, Yea, and all they that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. You know, we talked about it just the other night. Uh, the only type of people that the devil don't bother is lukewarm people. That's the only type of people. Uh, the devil's satisfied to let lukewarm people float along. You know why? Because he knows all they're going to do is float along. And the truth is, there's some out here that are striving to serve God and do things for Jesus Christ and they're fighting the battle alone while we sit here in comfort and in ease. I want to look at three things tonight. And uh, sermons like this, you've got to preach, preach quick before people realize what you've said or they stone you to death. Amen? Uh, I want to give you, first off, I want us to notice their reason, their reason for staying behind. Can I say that the devil always, one thing he never runs out of is excuses. Did you know that? The devil never runs short on excuses. And any time that you have an opportunity to serve God, there will always be an excuse to not serve God. We find that they had the reasons. There were certain things that kept them from serving God. And I'm convinced that the majority of Christians, there's just a few things in their life that if they give over to Christ they do great things for Him. But those few things are enough to keep them from serving God. I want to say that the first reason that they stayed behind is because they were satisfied. They were happy to stay right where they were at. They didn't care if any more land was conquered. You know why? Because they had theirs. You ever met anyone like that? You ever met anyone that didn't care a thing about what happened to anybody else as long as they got theirs and everything was all right for them? You know, I've found in my experience in dealing with Christians, they're just as bad about that attitude as anyone. You know what a lot of Christians say? Well, hey, at least my family's saved. Hey, at least my kids are in. Hey, at least my grandkids are in. Yeah, what about your church family's children? What about the grandkids of your church family? You say, but you don't understand. I've got everything I need. Yeah, I know you've got everything you need but your brethren are still going to war. Just because you're satisfied to stay back from the front line does not mean that it's a sanctified decision. Just because we as Christians are comfortable... In fact, let me say that more often than not, being comfortable with your walk with Christ is an indication of being dead in your walk with Christ than being uncomfortable. Nothing has ever been done for God with spare change and spare time. Nothing has ever been done for God inside of our comfort zone. Anything that's been done for Christ, we've had to step out of those comfort zones. You know, it's an uncomfortable thing to serve God. I I hate to drop notice on you. I know the TV preachers, would, would, uh, me and them would disagree on that. And Let me say, me and them would disagree on a lot of things, amen. But uh, can I say that serving God is not always an easy thing. Uh, It startles me sometimes to watch and listen to TV preachers to see how drastically anti-scriptural they can be. How can you preach that if a man is right with God, it's going to mean monetary uh, prosperity when our Lord died and didn't even have a home to sleep in? How can you preach that a man is never going to bear sickness if he's right with God? When you read the book of Job and see a man that lost everything and he was righteous and the Bible says he retained his integrity and he cursed not God. The truth of the matter is this. Nine times out of ten, when a man serves God, that's what brings adversity in his life. And nine times out of ten, people don't serve God because they're satisfied with where they're at. I've said it before and I'll say it again. You have just as much of God as you want to have. And that's true of me too. Every single one of us. God said, draw nigh unto me. In the book of James, draw nigh unto me and I'll draw nigh unto you, saith the Lord. You know what that means? God says, the ball's in your court. I'll be as close to you as you want to be. And you can be as close to me as you want to be. But the sad truth is, many times we're comfortable with God at a distance. We'd rather have the battlefield far away because we're satisfied. Let me say, secondly, because of substance. They made this statement. They said, uh, you know, this is a place for cattle. By the way, you know, all through the Bible, you've got to watch them places for cattle. Lot made a decision based on a good place for cattle, and it meant the ruin of his home. And a good place to cattle and for cattle is not always a good place to raise your kids either. They said, well, you know, uh, we've got all this cattle and this is a good land for cattle. You know what they were saying? There's money in it here. There's money in it here. Let me tell you why a lot of people don't serve God. They're too busy trying to make money to serve God. I mean, I'm just being honest with you, friend. Vote me out at the end if you want to. But I, I need to be honest with you. Most people don't serve God to their fullest. Because they are making money and it intervenes with their work for Jesus Christ. You say, Preacher, you're against making money? No, friend, you give me all the money you want to, amen? No, I'm not against making money. I'm just against anything that takes your attention away from Jesus Christ. He said, this is a good place for cattle. Why don't we just stay here? This is a good place to raise our cattle and make money. Why don't we just stay here? Can I say that I've seen the lives of more young people ruined when they had to cash a paycheck? than I have any other time. And I don't speak that as a pastor. I speak that as a youth pastor. I spent time working with teenagers as a youth pastor, you know. I, I don't know if you knew. Could you imagine young people liking me? Isn't that impossible to believe? What would, I don't even, Old people don't even like me. Why would young people like me, amen? But uh, And I found that young people... We, you know, we live in a different time than we used to. Uh, we live in a time when now most kids have to work not to learn responsibility, uh, but because the things that they want are too expensive for anybody to pay for, for them, isn't that right? Amen. When you were a young person and you got a job, it was what you wanted to get a car. You wanted to put gas in. It. That was about it. Now young people go out and they get a job. Why? Because they need a new iPad. Why? Because they they need uh, you know new clothes. Design. You, have you ever lived in a day when clothes have been so expensive? Isn't it ridiculous? But the truth of the matter is, many of them do so. I don't have a problem with a man making money. Make all the money you want to. Tithe on it, amen, but make all the money you want to. But don't do it at the destruction of your personal walk with Jesus Christ. Let me ask you something. When work takes you away from God's house, what's the end result of that? You know, I've asked young people that before. Young people that start working and they start missing church on a regular basis. And I ask them this question. Do you tend on never coming to church again because you've got a job that pays you eight bucks an hour or whatever it is? The fact is, there's nothing in this world more important than your walk with Christ. Don't allow substance to keep you from going to the front lines. Let me say, thirdly, their safety kept them from going to the front lines. You know, I'm going to drop some knowledge on you now. I know this is going to be put on your theological waiters. Amen, this is deep. But did you know that most fighting in a battle, you know where it takes place? The front line. I know that's deep, amen. Some of you have seen war movies, you know what I'm talking about. Others of you, this is all new to you, I know that. But most fighting takes place on the front line. And you know what they said? They said, give this for a possession unto us that we may not go to war. The main reason they didn't want to go to the battle is because they didn't want to have to fight and they didn't want to risk their neck. Do you know that every time you serve God, you're sticking your neck out and you're taking a risk that somebody's going to hurt you that somebody's gonna offend you. That somebody's gonna say something ugly. Let me be kind. I'm so sweet. I can't, they can't handle no more sweetness, Brother Mike. They, but, but let me, let me just, you know the best thing to do when your feelings are hurt? I mean, this, get over it! We're, we're big boys, we're big girls. We're doing something bigger than ourselves. We're here to serve God. We're here to see people come to know Christ as their Savior. A person's soul salvation is more important than your personal issues. You know that? And more important than mine. They said, we don't want to go to the front line. Why? There's a chance of getting hurt. There are more people been hurt in churches, I guess, emotionally, than just about anywhere else. And that's sad. That's a sad testimony. But the truth of the matter is, it's just Satan trying to derail us from serving Jesus Christ. They had all these reasons for why they didn't go to the front line. But I like what Moses does. He cuts to the quick here. And he gives them the results of not going to the front line. Look at verse number 7. He says, we'll read read at verse number 6. It says, And Moses said unto the children of Gad, unto the children of Reuben, Shall your brethren go to war, and shall ye sit here? I want to say the first result of you not serving God. Look at verse number uh, 7. It says, And wherefore discourage ye the heart? of the children of Israel from going over into the land which the Lord hath given them. Let me tell you the first thing that it does when you've got some people that refuse to serve God, the first thing it does is it discourages those that are trying to serve God. I'm just being honest with you here church. It's tough to serve God when you're the only one doing it. That's tough. It's tough to serve God when no one else will pitch in, when no one else will go, when no one else will serve. Now please, I don't want you to take these as personal statements. I'm blessed, wonderful church, we serve the Lord, we're doing great things. I mean personally in your own life. And I've seen it in the life of others, I've seen it in the lives of workers. It discourages servants of God when they're the only ones doing anything for God. Let me tell you the best way to encourage someone that's serving God. It's when you get up beside them and you say, Brother... I'm here to help you in any way that I can. Sister, I'm here to be an encouragement to you in any way that I can. But you mark my words. Inactivity is as big a discouragement to the church and to God's people as gossip, backbiting, lying, stealing. In fact, I found that apathy does more damage than any of those sins in the average church. It discouraged the hearts of their Brethren, but I want to say secondly, it didn't only discourage the hearts of their brethren, but I want to say, look at verse number 13. It says, and the Lord's anger was kindled against Israel. I want to say it not only discourages your brethren, but it displeases the Lord. You know, most of the reason, I've said this before, but you know the reason that most people will not give their entire life to Jesus Christ? It's because of pride. It's because of pride. You see, once you realize that you're nothing, you'll realize that giving your everything really isn't that big of a sacrifice. Once you realize that you're just a dead dog saved by grace, you'll realize that when you give everything to Jesus Christ, you're not really giving up that much. I quoted it this morning, He is not a fool who gives that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. And in this day that we live in, the reason most people don't have time to serve God is they value their time too much. It's not as much that they value God too little, although they do, it's that they value their time too much. They say, God's not worth my time. I know we don't say that. I mean, I understand that. You know, we're all spiritual. Baptists are the most spiritual carnal people in the world. Do you know that? That's the truth. I mean, a Baptist looking from inside outward is so spiritual. Half the time looking from outside inward, though, we're pretty carnal. And let me say that the reason that we will not give our time is because we just think our time's too important. We don't say it that way. We don't say, oh, my time's too important to spend witnessing. My time's too important to spend studying. My time's too important to, spend, uh, to be spent praying. That's not what we say. We just say, I don't have time for that. Well, yeah, you have the same twenty-four hours in a day that the rest of us have. It's just a question of how are you going to spend it? It's a question of how you're going to spend it. Time is one of the most universal elements in all of existence. Everybody is given the same amount of it in a day, assuming they don't die. Amen? We're all given the same amount of it in a day. Everybody's given 24 hours. Every 24 hours has 60 minutes per hour. And every single uh, set of 60 minutes has 60 seconds per minute. We all have that. It's just a question of how do we spend it for the cause of Christ? And when we say, I don't have time for that, what are we saying? We're saying, I spend my time doing this, and this is more important than doing that. That's what we're saying. We value our time too much because we value our attention too much. We value our own persons too much. When we get to the point that we value ourselves at nothing except in the person of Jesus Christ, then and only then will we give ourselves wholly to Him. I want to give you a third thing. I want to say that it delays the journey. Or if you pray, uh, pray, pray, uh, boy, I'll get it here in a second. Amen. Uh, if you prefer this, it derails the journey. There at the end of verse 13 tells us that uh, this discouragement and this apathy was the reason that God had allowed the children of Israel before to wander for so many years because they would not trust God and go forward, You remember the story of the spies that were sent out, and you remember how that uh, ten were bad and two were good, and you remember how that Caleb and Joshua were willing to go forth into the land, but the other spies said, no, we can't do it, we just want to stay right here. Moses brings their mind back to that truth and says, you know, that's the reason God left them in the wilderness. Uh, In many ways, the uh, children of Israel wandering through the wilderness pictures the Christian in his walk. It pictures us living in sin and in discouragement. And what was the reason they stayed there? On a journey that should have probably took about two weeks. They spent 40 years. Why? Because they refused to obey the Lord. Let me tell you the quickest way to derail your walk with Christ. And that's to stay right where you are. It's that simple, isn't it? That's the quickest way. When you become satisfied and you say, I've got enough of God then that's all you're going to get of Him. You know, it's funny, we come to church. Church is an interesting thing. I don't know if you've ever studied psychology or sociology or behavioral sciences or anything like that. I haven't either, but I learned those words so I can use them and sound smart. But uh, when you study those things, the collective mindset of a people is quite interesting. Uh, people will come to church. and Did you know that a lot of times one person can make the whole difference in a worship service? Did you know that? One person. For good or for bad. It's funny how much we depend upon each other. And we come so often times and, and uh, people leave church and, and I'd say this about other churches, not just our church, but they leave church and I'm sure there's times they go out the door and go, whew, boy that was good. I'm sure there's times that they go out the door and go, whew, boy that was rough. <laughs> And yet, you know, many times we come to church and we get out of it what we put into it. We get what we expect. When we come to worship, we worship. When we come to complain, we complain. When we come to be distracted, we're distracted. It's all about how we go in, what our mindset is. We find in this passage that it derailed them, the fact that they refused to go to war. The fact that they would not. And one person unwilling to serve Jesus Christ can affect an entire Church, we have to all be willing, we have to all be ready. I want to say that we see the results of this, but I like this. This is where it gets sweet. I mean, this is where it gets happy. Amen? Uh, you can, we can put a cherry on top of the last part of this sermon. It's going to be good. I want to see the resolve. Can I say that I'm thankful that when I do wrong, God will forgive me and allow me to do the right thing? I sin. Bulletin. I know. But I sin. I do wrong. I mess up. I fail. And very rarely is it accidental either. Amen? Most of the time I do it on purpose. You know why? Because I'm a sinner, just like you are. And being a sinner, when we mess up, I'm thankful that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And these uh, Reubenites and Gadites, they came to realize they error of their way. They said, Moses, you're right, we've done wrong. And you know what they said? We, they said, we're going to join the battle. One thing I love about God and the Holy Spirit is when you're in a church service and God convicts you, do you know you can get right, right then? You don't have to wait for a different service. You don't even have to wait for the altar call, amen? You can get right, right then. Look what they did. I like their resolve. They said, all right, Moses, we'll go to battle. Look at verse number 17. Uh, Listen to what they said. They said, but we ourselves will go ready armed before the children of Israel until we have brought them unto their place. And our little ones shall dwell in the fence city because of the inhabitants of the land. I want to say first off that when they resolved, they resolved that they were going to strive with the enemy. Let me tell you the first decision that a Christian that's not been serving God makes when he gets right with God. And that's the decision to begin serving God. You've got to go from doing nothing to doing something. God doesn't expect you to go from nothing to doing everything. But I promise you, if you say, I got right with the Lord, preacher, then you're going to go from doing nothing to doing something. They joined the battle. They got in with it. They said, we're not going to let our brethren go off to war and us not go fight with them. People that are fighting alongside of you in the cause of Christ are a chief encouragement to your heart, to the heart of your brethren that are around you. And I believe it would be good if every single one of us would say, I'm going to serve God in some capacity. You know, we can't all do the same thing. I mean, listen, it don't take take a, a rocket surgeon or a brain scientist to figure that out, amen? Not everybody can do the same thing, but we can all do something for the cause of Christ, every single one of us. And let me say that every little something helps, too. They said, we're going to strive. We're going to get in. We're going to work. But I want you to look at verse 18. It says uh, in verse number 18, and I like this, We will not return unto our houses until the children of Israel have inherited every man his inheritance. Boy, you know what I like about that? Not only were they saying, we're going to strive with the enemy, but they said, we're going to be steadfast in this endeavor. They said, we're going to fight and we're not coming home till the job is done." How many of you worked a job where you worked until it was done? You ever worked a job like that? You didn't work till five o'clock. You didn't work till six o'clock. You worked till the work was done, till it was finished. You know that's how God's work is. We'll work till the work is done. We'll work till Jesus comes. And the truth is, you know what's happening with a lot of Christians today? They start off good. I mean, man, they start off... I mean, they're, man, whew, best Christian you've ever seen. And then it's not long before they fall away. A lot of Christians are like a top. When they're humming, they're spinning real good. If they slow down, they wobble a little bit. If they stop, they just fall over on you. Amen? And the truth is, God needs people that are going to be steadfast. God, how would you feel if you were in a, a battle? How many of you have ever... ever no, I won't ask that. But if you were in a battle... And you were running out. How many of you have ever seen them battle movies like in the 1500s and stuff? I'm talking about when war was war, amen? People didn't push a button. They got a big old axe and, and hacked at each other with. That was war, wasn't it? And how would you feel if you were running out to the battle? And that's how they fought then, too. They didn't get up in trees and jump on people. Everybody got in a big field and they ran at each other, amen? And how would you feel if you were out in the battle and here you're running full speed? You got that battle axe in the air. Buddy, you're ready and you look over and there's your friend. He's running with you. And you're encouraged because you see him. He's got that big old broadsword and he's running with you, you know, and he's, he's got his face is painted up and he's, ah! you know, he's screaming and everything. Full on battle scenario. And then all of a sudden you look over and he stopped. You go back and you say, what's the matter? Why'd you stop? And he says, I stubbed my toe like you wouldn't believe. Do you want to go to battle with somebody like that? Well, what if uh, what if you stopped and went back and said, what's the matter? And he can't hardly breathe. He said, I swallowed a June bug. That wouldn't be very encouraging, would it? You know what happens though? You've got people out here that are witnessing to Jesus Christ. Uh, they're giving up time. They're giving up effort. They're giving up money. They're serving God in a mighty way. They're sticking by the stuff. They're going head first into the battle. People lying about them. People uh, gossiping about them. And then you know what they hear? Well, what happened to so-and-so? Oh, they left. Why'd they leave? Oh, well, you know, somebody said something about them. Imagine how discouraging that'd be. Imagine how discouraging it would be. Oh, what happened to so-and-so? Oh, well, you know, somebody looked at them cross, so they skipped on out of church. They're going to the church down there where they don't know what's happened yet. (laughs) You know, the fact is, we need to learn how to be steadfast in this endeavor. You're going to face some things. You might as well get comfortable with that. You're going to have some adversities. You know, you spend enough time in a Baptist church, somebody's liable to black your eye, right? <laughs> Let alone lie about you. It's going to happen. You know why? We've got one of them. I don't know. You may have heard. They, they have churches in this town where everybody's made of plastic. They don't make mistakes. They all look real pretty. They put them on TV and everything. Here at this church, we've got real people that make real mistakes that do, you ever seen somebody do something and thought, boy, that was stupid? Yeah? You ever th- how many times do you think somebody's thought that about you? Amen? Yeah, the truth is we need to learn how to be steadfast in this endeavor to say, listen, I'm not going home till the work is done. I'm not going to be derailed by every single little thing that comes along. I'm not going to let the devil discourage me and cause me to get out of the way and get cross with people and quit serving the Lord. i want to give you a final thing. I'll hush. I've made it so far, I might make it out the back door before it's over. Look at verse 19. It says, For we will not inherit with them on yonder side of Jordan or Ford, because our inheritance is fallen to us on this side, Jordan, eastward. Here they are standing at the Jordan River. And of course, they entered from the eastern side. They entered going westward. And you know what they say? They say, we're not coming back until they've gotten all their inheritance. And you know what he says? He says, you know, we're not going to get anything for doing this. But we're going to go on and fight with them anyway. You know why? Because they're our brethren. Brethren. Can I say that not only when you resolve to serve God, is it going to make you steadfast in your endeavor, is it going to make you strive with the enemy, but it's going to make you selfless in your attitude. Let me serve notice on all of us here tonight. We're all Baptists. That means we're all arrogant. we got big heads. It's a wonder we can get through the doors. Amen. But do you know it's not all about you and me? It's not all about you and me. There's other people here other than just us. You ever seen someone drive? I say this to my wife all the time. I know she gets aggravated with me. I swear, there's some people in this world that drive and they think they are the only person on the road. They don't know what brakes are. They don't know what a turning blinker is. They don't know what it means to signal. I'd be happy if they'd stick their hand out the window. It wouldn't matter to me. But they drive like they're the only person on the road. You ever seen somebody like that before? You know, Christians live like that sometimes. Like I'm the only person in the world. No one else matters. No one's depending on me. No one's looking to me. Let me tell you the truth, friend. Let me tell you the truth tonight, Christian. The truth tonight, Christian, is that you've got people looking at you and depending on you. I'll be honest. We ought to all serve God every day because we love Him with all our hearts. I know that. But there's going to be some days that you get up and you're just not going to be with it. You know, there's probably days when you were raising your children, when you got up and you didn't feel like going to work. Any of you ever had a day where you didn't feel like going to work? Oh, just a few. That's what I figured. But you got up and you drug yourself out of bed. You combed your teeth and, 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 you know, put toothpaste in your hair, stumbled out the front door, and you went. Do you know why you did it? Because you have those little mouths to feed. And you had people depending on you. It wasn't all about you. If you had had what you wanted, you wouldn't have got up and gone. But you had people depending on you. You know, there's times we serve God and we ought to always serve Him because we love Him and we've never lost the wonder of it all and we're always just so excited and we can't wait. I mean, we come to church, people cuss at us and we just smile at them and say, bless you, brother. I wish it was like that. But the truth of the matter is you serve God any length of time. There's going to be days you get up that you don't feel like serving God. What are you going to do on those days? You've got to recognize there's other people depending on you. Daddies, there's other people depending on you. To serve the Lord. Mamas, there's other your children, your grandchildren, your nieces, nephews, neighbors, co-workers and church family are depending upon you to serve the Lord. Children, it's sad, but a lot of times your parents are depending on you to serve the Lord. We all got people watching us. The question is, what are they seeing when they do? I like their resolve. I think every Christian ought to be that way. I'll admit I'm not always that way. But I'd like to think that most of the time I am. And if I'm not, I want the Lord to help me to be that way. Tonight, if God's spoken to your heart, I want you to get right with Him. I don't just want you to raise your hand. That's good. But do you know that it's not enough to get diagnosed? You can go to the doctor tomorrow and they can tell you that you have cancer. And that would not cure you of cancer. Just because God has dealt with you does not mean that you have dealt with Him. So tonight, I don't just want you to raise your hand. I want you to come down to the altar and deal with Him. I don't just want you to acknowledge that there's areas of your life you need to surrender to Christ. I want you to come to the altar. I want you to give it to Him. And I want to promise you something. He'll help you. He'll help you when you can't help yourself. In fact, that's what He's in the business of doing.